If you will, turn back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 18. We're looking at a portion of scripture that I'm trying to define for us to make sure we frame it right because this is not the end of the road. This is kind of a transition point. This is a middle passage event that needs to be uh, sort of framed properly. The way we've entitled this is a rise, move and go. And you know we are on uh, our ninth encampment. We're headed to our 10th, which is a major event for Israel, the giving of the law in chapters 19 and 20, which we want to unpack. As we move to that very monumental affair in Exodus 19 and 20, which has defined our world, by the way, it has defined our world because God has entered into humanity as he does, and he has swept us up into his story as he has, and he has brought a lot of people closer to him as he also does called his people, whether the Old Testament or the New. God has always had a people to the glory of his praise that has been his representative on earth. And that's really what's about to happen here. If I might frame it more properly, what you and I are looking at in this portion of scripture is a theocratic government being established. It's a theocratic government. And some of you've heard me develop these terms. A theocratic government is a God-ordained government where the hierarchy of authority is God. That's a theocratic government, not a democratic government, a theocratic government. A democratic government is where man rules exclusively. And that's always going to be the parity and conflict in our world where man will seek to take the government over God and exclude God from the central organizing principle role of giving us ultimate governance. And when you follow the way the word of God lays out God's entrance into the world, his participation in and mutual reciprocation of his own people, they end up becoming for God a kind of quasi legislative branch. So our government, and I won't be on this long because this is not about our government, but our government is built partially on a biblical paradigm when you understand the nature of the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial uh, branches of government. They do come out of scripture. And here we have a people who are over a million people in number somewhere around 1.3 to 1.5 million people who are going to now move into another level of conformity to Christ. Remember, these are the slaves who have come out of Egypt and they have come out under the benevolent rule and deliverance and authority of the great, true and living God. As God has been moving them along his history of which they are now participants, they are learning who God is and they are learning who they are. And something has occurred now after about eight events, eight uh, encampments, as we know, something remarkable is occurring. If you were to listen to the text carefully, you will discover that these people are no longer complaining and murmuring and bickering. They're actually seeking the will of God. That's what the text said. Now, we're getting ready to get into that in terms of Moses being instructed, but certainly 
what Moses has told his father-in-law when his father-in-law asked him, what are you doing? He says in verse 15, and Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. That is transformational. Put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. Because that is not what is happening in my nation. That is not what is happening in my world. In my world, the nation as an aggregate whole, coming to the leadership and asking the leadership to help give us guidance in terms of God's will in our life, we must, somebody must have took the, put a, added a page in this Bible that wasn't supposed to be there compared to what happened just in the previous chapter, right? But you see, God is a good God and he knows how to take you and I, rebel sinners who are used to being our own autocratic, divine uh, demigod, and he knows how to change our lives so that we're not operating out of a horizontal dilemma, but get that thing turned right side up to where a, a vertical uh, perspective and understanding that we need God can come into the equation. And now all of a sudden these people are asking about Jehovah. This will teach you something about being patient with uh, new converts, won't it? It'll, it'll teach you. See, because really what I'm giving you is the model of God is Abba right now. He's Abba Father. He has a son he has brought out. He's training his son. And they went through eight events. They're in the ninth event. Y'all keeping up with me now? They're in the ninth event. Call my son out of Egypt, Exodus chapter three. We know that. So God has already looked at Israel as a, as a young son, has he not? And he's training his son on how to be righteous. Does that make sense? When we use the word son, ladies, you know, we're not using it in the gender form. We're using it in the classical form. His child, his firstborn, men and women. They are coming to learn that they are no longer a set of slaves under the dictatorial government of a pagan demigod called Pharaoh. They're coming to learn now that they can actually have a conversation with God and find out what God wants for their life. Remarkable. Even if you don't see it, I'm going to let you know it's remarkable because when we raise our kids, if I carry the parallel through quickly, when we're raising our kids, most of us know our kids do not know Jesus when they're first born and young. And even though they rattle off at the mile, oh, how I love Jesus, that we know they're not born again. We know they're not born again. We know that a radical conversion must take place of which they come to a personal conviction of their desperate state as a sinner. See, you can play church and you can go, oh, how I love Jesus. But once you're born again, you know why you should love Jesus. All right. And so we're praying for the conversion of our sons and daughters so that they no longer have to live on the fumes of mom and daddy's faith. Because that was Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That was the 12 tribes, as you guys know. But here we have a beautiful developmental process of the excursion of Father God bringing his children now to a place where as a whole group, they are starting to call on God. And when we see our kids go through trouble, our young kids, our teenagers, often it's in the teenage years where they lose their mind and start thinking they know everything on the planet. And if they don't know anything at all, they always know more than you, mama and daddy. They know more than you. I did it. You did it. We all did it. That's part of the um, 
lack of decorum for breaking the umbilical cord because you got to break that cord and you got to leave. But we end up finding reasons to get mad at mom and daddy so we can leave, you know, with some fury. The reality is, is that we're we're as as parents who really know what salvation is, we're praying that God changes their heart that he gives them a revelation of his glory so that their heart is committed to God, compatible with his will, and we'll know it. Do you know how we'll know it? They'll start inquiring about God more sincerely. You won't have to always drag them to church. Now, you got to do that early on. God's dragging Israel to church every week. He's teaching them how to worship the God that provides from heaven, that provides from the earth, that provides out of the earth. He gives them manna. He gives them water out of the rock. He gives them hot chicken. I told you that flying from the west. He feeds them well because our God provides for us. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And then we are to ask him for what we need. At the top of the list is forgiveness and the rest of it is provision and then protection. Y'all got that? Provision, protection. This is the model of a, a biblical man. He provides, he, he, he protects and he procures. That's God for us. So Israel is learning here on how to become a theocratic governed society of ex-slaves. And the next model is what I would call the legislative model. And I want you to take it in. We'll work this through as we enter into the constitutional format in chapter 20. This is what we would call a representative republic. A representative republic. This is the part we're going to get into in the nuances. This is the problem that Moses was helped with by his his father-in-law, Jethro. Because Moses had actually entered into a space where it began to dawn on him that he's in the stead of God, in the place of God with these people. Now, I really want to make sure this comes home because for a long time now, Moses is dealing with a bunch of crazy people. He don't know. Y'all know that, right? And they, they remember last week, they about to stone me, Lord. The week before last, they about to stone me to death. And so he's in this kind of ambivalent space between God and the people. And he's not sure that he really is up to this job. Now, all of a sudden, guess what he's doing? He's taking the role on of being a kind of father type for God in the stead of God to God's children. Did y'all get that? A lot of transformation has occurred over these nine encampments, has it? This is where we have to be patient to train them up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord and just wait for that revelation to come because it's here now in the framing. It's here now in the framing. Israel two chapters ago, Israel three encampments ago were not ready for what's about to take place. What's about to take place is God is about to give them his constitution, his bylaws of government. He's going to lay out the Ten Commandments, which are an adumbration of the whole will of God for his people. They are about to enter into covenant with the one true and living God and be for God what God told them they would be. They would be a nation of priests and kings to model for the world how a government that is truly operating under God should be. I want you to get it. 
I know you had a bunch of food in your belly and you're going to be fighting against the preaching. I want you to get it. So what your Bible is teaching you is what a world of human beings who really submit to the government of God could possibly be. What it means to have a relationship with God at the level of millions of people. And now what we're about to be taught is how those millions of people will actually be brought into the process of government at a stratification of local government parties all the way up, tearing all the way up to God. Did that make some sense? As is the case in our own country. You and I are constantly becoming very much aware of the stratification of authority in our country at the level of judges, at the level of legislature, and at the level of the presidency. Are we not? God is the president here. God is the president. And he didn't get voted in. He came with the position. I'm the president. Right. And I'm actually lowering the the actual designation. I'm doing it to make an application to you and me because our presidents dare not even remotely pretend to be God. But they should be godly. And they're not. And so what we're looking at in our text, I want you to capture it because this this model that we're going to be talking about for the next 45 minutes will actually reduce itself down to any kind of system that is in need of government. For instance, this can apply to the home with the husband and the wife and the children. Did y'all get that? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I could easily make the case for that. Um, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily re- recommend y'all having 10 kids. But in this system, the minimum is 10. Did y'all get that? Have rulers over 10. Have rulers over 10. Have rulers over hundreds and thousands. And they didn't go past thousands because in your Bible, the Kiliad, the thousand, the, the myriad thousand is the biggest number you get. You get to multiply that by 10. But the thousand is as far as you go. And plus, Israel is only a nation of about a million and a half. Imagine California. Let's just use California as an example. If you're keeping up with me, how many guys know how many people are in California? You can't know. Because every day they pouring in by airplane and swimming and jumping fences and all that kind of stuff. Just help. Just helping you. The number, the ticketron is just ticking more and more. And if you ever see it read on a piece of documentation that the government gives to you, they're lying. It's more than the number they will give you. It's more than the number they will give you. See, now governments actually is designed, governance is actually designed to uh, address the welfare of the totality of your life. Because every child you have per capita becomes a certain amount of economic liability. It's really true. You don't have a child in this world where the country knows you have that child and they don't already see that child is going to cost $40,000 a year. And as they get older, the numbers increase until they become themselves employable in the same uh, maintenance of the government that you have to have. Am I making some sense? And this is where husbands and wives and, and parents need to understand. You just can't be having a bunch of bunnies and stay broke. You got to know how to make some money to have them bunnies. Um, and, and Israel was prepared for that early on. If you recall, when God brought them out of Egypt, they're slaves. They don't think like rulers. 
And a lot of us are slaves. We don't think like rulers. And yet God has called us to rule. Let me just go ahead on and strap that over into the New Testament. God has called us to be kings and priests and rule with Jesus Christ at his right hand even now. Am I making some sense? Right. He's called us to rule in every sphere and every dominion and every domain that God has given us. Whether we are single, whether we are married, whether we have no children or 10 children or more. Our call is to understand our domain and influence and rule well by the grace of God over it. Every child of God, every child of God, you and I are called to reign with King Jesus. We are children of the king. We should know the Constitution. We should know the bylaws. We should know our gifts, our calling. We should know our power and our authority, and we should be walking in it. See what I'm getting at? So what God is doing right now is actually addressing what we might call the collective. And the collective is like any family. Like I said yesterday to us all, every family is a cult. Is that right? Every family is a cult because every family is uniquely carved out with its own unique characteristics that it cultivates among itself. And then the rest of the world gets to enjoy the beauty of that unique family. Well, the church of the living God is a cult. Didn't I tell you that? It is carved out of the world. A cult is something carved out of the world, cultivated for its own purpose, for everybody else to enjoy. God has a people that is his cult. And they are in the world to actually impact the world pervasively and progressively. That's what Israel is being trained to do right now. You are keeping up with me. This is a remarkable day. This is a remarkable day. So now that you kind of have the big picture of what's going on, you see now that what's taking place is that we have a, uh, a government vision that's being established on the theocratic principle and a representative republic. A representative republic is always a legislative body of delegated authorities who come from the people to represent the people to God and God to the people. Did y'all get that? That's a representative uh, government. That's a representative republic. A family is the same way. God help my people. So when you when you end up getting married and start having children, mama and daddy, you stand before those children as a representative of God to the children and as a representative of the children to God. That's right. You know what that means? That means the children have every right to expect that you know what you're talking about. They get, the, they get to ask the hardest questions that humankind has ever been confronted with. They get to ask all of the difficult questions to mama and daddy. And they have every right to believe that mama and daddy, if they don't have the immediate answer, they have access to it. And the role of mama and daddy is to go get the right answer from God and bring it to the children so that the children know that they're not an accident. Let me calm down. Right, because I live in a world where children are an accident. They accidentally made it. Because what's going on is we're trying to kill them before they get here. This is the Exodus 2 narrative. This is why our elder was talking about lively midwives. I'll make that word apply here in a moment. It's a miracle that we make it. In a, in a culture of death system where technology has made 
abortion so easy that all you have to do is just swallow something and it's done. All right. And and this is why we assert to those of you who enjoy the domestic privileges or the ontological and sociological imperative. You enjoy the sociological imperative. But the end of the sociological imperative is pregnancy. Did that make some sense? So you enjoy it, but you got to be ready to pay the bills. If somehow that child makes it through that slaughterhouse into the world, you got to give them 15 to 18 years of your best life of your best life. They didn't ask to come here. I keep saying that to us. Right. So you got to give it to them because in the context of you doing the best you can by the grace of God, these children have the potential of being a leader and either expanding and progressing the revelation or preserving the revelation that we presently have. Or, if you will, bringing salt and light to the corruption that we presently have. Any of the three will work if God is calling our our young people to be something of importance in our world. That's what we want for them. Is that not right? And so here in our context, let me begin to work through these very important points. They're very important. The first one is the burden of addressing controversies. The burden of addressing controversies. Now, I don't like controversy. Do you? I am not a drama king. I'm certainly not a queen, but I'm definitely not a drama king. I I have to deal with drama. Maybe I should have figured that out while I was having children, because having children is a drama-oriented task. But I don't particularly care for drama, but I have to manage drama. And whenever you're in a position of authority, you have to manage drama. Again, I'm bleeding over into our marriage class because we are so unclear on how to be aware of the scope of our responsibilities. Our job is management. Our job is not controlled. And what I love about what's going on in our text is it'll teach you that if you follow your Bible carefully, God is not constantly exercising control. He's engaging management. He's bringing team players to the forefront and say, can you manage that? I'll give you everything you need to manage it. Do y'all see it right here? Right. So I'm trying to help you. God is not so insecure in himself. He got to control everything. No. And you'll see that in the text. I love this because Moses made it very clear. The people are now coming to him about the hard questions and he's going to God and then he's going to bring the message back to a delegated authority so they can begin to negotiate the minutia and the uh, acute details of life on the ground with the people. Do you know what that means? That means everybody in this political structure that's being developed has to have a level of integrity and sincerity about making sure this thing functions. Did that come home? That means everybody has to be operating at the level of a vertical knowledge of God, And that God would deposit to us when we follow the proper mechanisms, what is necessary as policy and protocol to get along as a society. I mean, we could sit here for a long time and think through all of the kinds of questions that a bunch of slaves who have been moved out of a territory that they're used to for 430 years. They're in the middle of the desert. They're in the middle of the desert in between where they were and where they're going. 
And they have to actually manage themselves as they make their way to glory, to the promised land. Y'all keeping up with what I'm saying? I mean, they wouldn't make it if they're just sitting around exercising arbitrary will and arbitrary decisions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. They'd be just like a bunch of cats in the wilderness. They'd never make it. Therefore, what we understand is, is when we're thinking properly, every one of us know that the best way for us to function as a collective is with order and clarity and insight. Everybody knows you got to have order. You have to have order. Once there's no order in the house, the devil is present. Right? God is a God of order. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As are all of his faithful churches. Now, you running around in churches where they're chaotic and, and mayhem and foolishness is going on. God's not in that. God is a God of order. And he's going to have order. And he's going to have structure. And he's going to have protocols and he's going to help you to know how to live as fully as you possibly can within the parameters of your calling. Now, that's going to require cooperation. I'm back at the marriage series, am I not? It's going to require communication. I'm back there again. It's going to require collaboration and cultivation. Are we back there? Right, because you and I live in the last covenant paradigm. Christ is ahead. We're the body. And this covenant paradigm is being commended by God to the whole world. I mean, if we could take the Bible and give it to a nation and they properly have a relationship with God at the spiritual level, their nation could be transformed, could it not? But see, you and I have a real problem in America. We've thrown away the Constitution. We have destroyed the boundaries. We have removed the old landmarks. And now every pagan demon is running up inside our family and disrupting the identity of the family at the larger holistic political and social level. I'm making some sense. Am I making some sense? Now we got all kind of crazy churches going on. And when I use the word churches, I'm using it in the generic form. I mean, all kind of communities gathering together under all kind of weird and bizarre ideologies. Strange. This is what we call the Neo-Babylonian syndrome. Everybody got a tongue, a dream, a vision, a revelation. And what God is doing with Israel is making sure that they don't disintegrate into what we are disintegrating into. Right. It's making sense, isn't it? All right. Let's let's appreciate uh, point number one, the burden of uh, of addressing issues verses 14 through 16. Then we're going to quickly look at the two sub points and go on. Uh, verse 14, and when Moses' father-in-law saw what he had did, he said, what is this thing you are doing uh, to the people? Why are you sitting yourself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning to evening? Now, if, I don't, if that's not socialism, I don't know what it is. See, you're going to miss that one too. Yeah. When your society turns socialist and it doesn't have a healthy structure with proper stratification and, and, and bylaws, the lines are always long. And the, and the service is always poor. Am I making some sense? I'm going to bring it home. I don't care what you think. I'm bringing it home. It's coming home because this is the word of the living God. The Bible is God's wisdom and it maps on everything going on in our world. When the lines get too long, that means your policies are jacked up. <laughs> and I love this. Jethro, what a name. Takes me back to, to the Clampets. You know, I remember them? Jethro. That name never came up for me when it came to naming my children. 
I was not going to name, I like the word Jade, y'all can see why, but Jethro was not going to be a name for two brothers growing up in the hood. I I mean, I guess they could have survived. I guess they could have survived, but no. Jethro is cool. There's some real insights we get from Jethro. Jethro knew God. It's very evident to me that he did. And Jethro knew God without having to be part of the cultic people of the Hebrew Israelites. Because God saves whom he wants to, when he wants to, from where he wants to. And he often will give them wisdom that we, the people of God, collectively don't have. A lot of times he got to bring wisdom in from somewhere else. This is why you got to know God is not a respecter of persons. He'll give wisdom to who he wants to. And then he'll tell you, you need to be humble enough to receive that wisdom, no matter who the brother or sister is, open your ears and get this counsel. Because sound counsel and sound wisdom, according to Proverbs, is from God. All right, I'm going to, this is a prophetic word, just right here. Because I think that the only way our nation is going to be corrected is a kind of Jethro coming in having the impact upon the foolishness of our government because we're given over to such idolatry that is going to require a wisdom that doesn't even come from the church because the church has abandoned the wisdom of God. It's going to have to come from somebody else that knows God in a way in which God had prepared them, protected them, and hid them so when he shows up, we might listen to him. I'm just praying that it's not a robot. I'll get there in a moment. I'll get there in a moment. I'll get there in a moment. You'll see why I'm going to get there in a moment. Now, you know I'm laughing, but you know I'm not laughing. I'll get there in a moment. I'll show you what I'm saying. Look at what he says over in verse 15. Verse 15 says, if we can keep going, if we can get there, there's a text. It's holding up. All right. Verse 15 in our text says, and Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. That's remarkable. When they have a matter, they come unto me and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. His, his, Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that you do is not good. Whoa. Right. So this is really a fascinating idea that's going on here. So under point number one, sub point A, they sought wise counsel of Moses. What they were doing was right. Jethro wasn't saying what the people was doing was wrong. The Proverbs says it very clearly, Proverbs chapter 11, verse four, and the multitude of counselors, their safety. And in another place, it will say that um, without counsel, purposes are destroyed. And this is a pathology for a lot of us in America where we act out of whim and impulse. And we don't seek counsel. It means that we're operating out of levels of pride and arrogance when we just do what we want to do. Now, a humble person is going to always try to vet and verify their notions or their views with somebody they feel is qualified to be as objective necessarily as possible to make sure that we're just not going off on some rabbit trail. Does that make some sense? Wise people will seek counsel. That's just necessary. We'll see that in a moment. So there is count. There is safety, salvation in the multitude of counselors. So these people are doing the right thing. Besides, they're trying to figure out how to engage as a free and new people without the tyranny of Pharaoh beating down on them at every acute level. 
which is what you're getting right now in your country. They're telling you what to do at every level. Like they're telling you how to think. If that's not over the top, I don't know what is. You can't think the way you think. Shh, don't think that way. How insane is that? If that's not a false God-like syndrome, I don't know what is. Listen carefully. I was talking to a young man today, and this was a question brought up in our Friday study. Can the devil know your thoughts? No. He can only guesstimate and calculate by your behavior and your pathology how you will act, because he is a sociologist, he is a scientist. He's a philosopher. He's a quasi theologian, but he never can enter into you unless you're lost. If you're lost, even when he enters in the spirit and rim that he cannot negotiate is your conscious. That domain is between you and God alone. Did you hear me? Only you and God know your thoughts. Only you and God know your thoughts. The enemy will know your impulses. He will know your actions. This is what these disciplines of sociology and science are about. They watch human behavior. And many of them are inspired by the enemy, the devil, because they are secular, humanist, atheist, agnostic, and very demonic in their agenda in terms of managing humanity. And a lot of them we go to for help. And that's okay, because if they figured out how stupid you are and you haven't figured it out, pay them the $100 to tell you why you're being stupid. And then stop being stupid and go back to God and pray and say, Lord, I'm sorry for being stupid and get back to the Bible. (laughs) Yes, yes, because we can be stupid. Um, What you are looking at in the text is a man from the outside being able to see a fundamental weakness. A fundamental weakness. So the people are coming to Moses and they're coming to Moses so that Moses can give them all the answers. Isn't that right? Right. That's right and wrong. This is what we're about to see. I want this to come home. This is right and wrong. Moses can't possibly give them all the answers. But in his attempt to do so, he is actually affirming a fundamental truth. So point B, Moses sought the wise counsel of God. Did he not? So they came to me. I go to God. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, let me help you understand what this. I told you earlier what this constitutes. This constitutes a hierarchy of authority like parents over children. And then adults being governed by other um, God ordained authorities in our life. We would love for all of our politicians to go to God for the answers, wouldn't we? Right. We would love for them to go to God for for the answers. And. uh And so that hierarchy is quasi-legitimate. Here's here's the big problem that's getting ready to be dealt with by Jethro. Are you ready? Here's the big problem. They're coming to Moses when they should be going to God first. See, I set you up for that. And here's the reason why. Please listen to me. Here's the reason why. When you actually can default to always going to a human being for your problems, you you inadvertently force those human beings to become God. Did that come home? Right. You inadvertently force those human beings to become God. And so while Moses is trying to do the best he can, I love this because a minute ago, as I shared with you, Moses, all he got from them was complaint, threats, 
you know, suicide, all that. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're loving on Moses. Well, you have to, because Moses was an 80-year-old brother hanging out in the wilderness, tending sheep, and saw the glory of God, the person of the Lord Jesus, speaking out of the burning bush. That was Jesus, okay? And he submitted to the mandate to go in and get his people. But that wasn't Moses' problem. That was God's problem. Moses couldn't hear those people complaining and, 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 and moaning and groaning about the oppression and tyranny of Pharaoh. Moses was living a perfectly good wife with his wife and kids on the backside running a business selling cheap. But once he saw the glory of God and it drew him in, and that's what the glory of God is designed to do, draw you in. God brought Moses into his own story. And now Moses' story becomes God's story. And now Moses has to represent God. And remember, Moses didn't want to do it. He said, what? No, no. Pharaoh, he's the greatest king on earth. Do you know what he does to people that look at him the wrong way? Man, I've been on the backside of this desert for 40 years enjoying life. He went to the desert at 40. God called him at 80. Now he's pretty old now. And he's going to get an assignment like this. Now, see, this is why I'm saying we need to pray because we got these crazy presidents that's 80 plus years old. I'm telling you, the, the law of diminishing returns, we got some problems here. Help, Lord. Help. Okay. I look, you got to be specially anointed by God to do it at 80. And when the anointing ain't on you at 80, we got problems. All right. We roll in these balls that, you know. Mutiny on the bounty. Y'all remember that? We got problems when you're that old because God uses young people to deal with massively sociological problems because young people can bear it psychologically, emotionally, and physiologically. Does that make sense? But here Moses didn't want to do it because he was fine. And God says, no, you're going. And Moses says, listen, I can't talk. My tongue is slow. You know, I, the, my own people kicked me out. Remember that? They were the ones that sold him out. Fauci, there you go. And so he had to leave. So, so um, you know, Moses don't know if he's going to be cool with the people. And then here's what God does. All right, go get your brother. Now his brother's 83. That's the next level. You got these two old cats, old cats walking up the Pharaoh. And, 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 and Moses didn't want to do it. God said, take that stick you got. I know you're old and crippled. Take the stick. I can work with a stick. Right? And, and God did some amazing things. And, and that's how God works. He, he, he knows how to confound the wise with foolish things. And, and the people figured out in a year that Mo, Moses and Aaron were serious about Yahweh. Because all of Egypt was completely tore up. They walked out in a high hand. Now, they're following Moses, but they're not trusting him. But when that rod rises up and that Red Sea opened up, they go, oh, there may be something in that rod. And that rod rises up and it smites a rock and the water comes out. They say, man, that brother got a cool rod. What can I get one of them, right? And then when that rod is used to actually guide Israel into battle and win, they realize now that God has called them to be a nation because they came from a group of enemies They won a war against a group of enemies. 
and God's still with them. Am I making some sense? See, God knows how to slowly persuade you that he is with you. He is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord that is with you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you, but I will train you. I will teach you how to trust the Lord. And that's what's going on here. That's really what's going on. And, and God will do that in our homes. I'm just telling you, I've been married a long time. I, I needed signs and wonders in my household, especially when I was broke. How many of you guys ever saw God come through with signs and wonders? I can tell you how God worked with poor folk. With poor folk, God comes through. Now, once you start having some money, you got to do the right thing, okay? There's a whole nother structure in God maintaining your money once you have it, okay? And, and we're in that problem right now. I, 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 don't, I, I better not go there. I better not go there. I'll wait for another text to go there on the economy. I'll, I'll find another one. I don't know where I'm going to do it. I'll find it down the line. We got about seven more encampments to go. I'm sure we'll find one where we'll be looking at the parallels between where we are and the loss of our economy because we're on our way to hell and, and where God would have us to be as a nation, nation with so many resources. Okay, but what God is doing is disciplining us because of our rebellion against him. He knows how to cut the faucet off, doesn't he know how to cut? He knows how to cut the heat off, too. He knows how to cut the lights off. He knows how to cut them off and get your attention. And so what we see here in our text is a a, a beautiful uh, illustration of Moses being drawn in to be a, a kind of father figure and God to them. But the problem with this is that. What Moses has done is collapsed into a kind of pseudo God position. They're actually replacing Pharaoh with Moses. Did that come home? They're replacing Pharaoh with Moses. And, and And when you do that, all you're doing is changing one set of tyrannies to another. That's true. That's how that often happens in relationships. This is why you got to figure out what happened in that last crazy relationship, because all you're going to do is what we call a recapitulation principle. Haven't I taught you all that? Right. If you don't change your model, you're going to end up you're going to end up purchasing purchasing from Amazon that same kind of doll. I'm just telling you how it works. You got to change your model. Or else you're going to get the same kind of doll. And uh, and so Moses almost fell into that until Jethro came along. Let's look at point number two. This becomes extremely important. Let me see if I can make sure some of you sisters don't freeze to death. Um, Yeah, I I love that. I love that. The sister right behind you is just about frozen. And you say, it's not cold. It's not. It's not cold. You not cold, because y'all all got your own different temperature gauges going on as a female. Y'all know this stuff, right? Right In the same place. I'm going to leave it alone. What I, I will say one more thing before I move to my second point that I love about this model of governance where um, Jethro gave him the wisdom. <clears throat> Jethro gave him the wisdom and insight. Notice what it says under point number two, the blessing of counsel to organize, Right. Uh, Moses' father-in-law said, the thing that you do is not good. You will surely wear away both you and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for you. Do you see that? You are not able to perform it yourself alone. Jethro's right. Only God can do that. You agree with that. And what I stated to you was only God can do it, but he doesn't. Only God can govern everything in the universe down to the smallest microorganism. And he can control it by himself without our help if he wanted to. But before he made this world, he even made the angels. 
who are without number that serve God in the maintenance of his glory and the universe. And then when God made the heavens and the earth, guess what? He made man to govern the earth. God's not some hyper-narcissistic tyrant that wants to show he can control everything. So we're into management, aren't we? And so here what Moses is about to be taught is, Moses, you don't have to be God. You don't have to be God. Plus you can't. So Moses was in this twix, and this application will work for you and me as we move on. Moses was in this twix where he started filling God. He started filling God at the level of God's people. Because as I told you in Exodus chapter 3, when God called Moses, he called Moses and he told Moses, I hear the cry of my people. God hears our cries. God says, I'm concerned. Now, this is what I want to do. Did that make some sense? So after about two and a half months, almost three months now, Moses is starting to feel like God, isn't he? I hear the cries. I hear the concerns. God has moved Moses into that position, but Moses cannot occupy the position of a sovereign king. The best Moses can do, and I want you to get this, is take on the position of priesthood. The position of priesthood is when people bring you issues, you take it to God in prayer. So listen, this is the way it works in a family. When your children bring you issues, you take it to God. You don't have to be the Bible answer man, particularly if you don't have the answers. It's better to say, I don't know, than to give them the wrong Bible verse. The kids get to throw Bibles back at you. Once you get the Bible verse wrong, say, if I get the Bible verse wrong, throw that Bible at me. Because you shouldn't be playing with your Bible to control your kids. Did you hear what I just stated? Right, because that becomes a form of tyranny too. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Make sure you know what the Bible says. And then as we're going to learn on next Saturday, you got to have the right spirit when you do it. Like men must have a masculine spirit that is not toxic, but godly. And women must have a feminine spirit that is not masculine and dominant. Whoa. See what I'm getting at? Y'all see what I'm getting at? Children get to look and wonder not only what you said, but how you said it. And they get to try to figure out if that, if that woman that had me is the man and that brother that's supposed to be taking care of me is the woman. They get to work that through. See, ain't, go, ain't nobody going to be here next Saturday. Nobody, <laughs> no one's going to be here next Saturday. Nobody coming to figure out how important spiritual character is in these things. See what I'm getting at? And if I take this and map this on where we are in our culture, we see that a departure from God has left us massively confused at the level of human uh, distinctions of males and females in terms of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. You see what I'm getting at? And our children are wide open to that confusion if you and I don't model this thing right. They're looking at the way you model it as well. And so what Moses is doing here is he's being taught that he cannot handle this. I know this. I know this. And and Jethro is giving some foresight. This is Numbers 11, verse 11. Now, in Numbers 11, verse 11, we are right up on them entering into the promised land. You know what that means? We got to do 38 more years. We're only three months into their journey. Y'all keeping up with me? So this is a brand new relationship. 
But Moses, but Jethro is telling Moses, Moses, I want you to project yourself 38 years down the line from now. If you're going to hold on to this model of every time they have an issue, they come into you. I want you to see what you're going to look like. This is kind of like the Scrooge movie. Remember that? Now, you and I get to do that, too. You and I get to look and see if the model we're operating in is sustainable. Because it might work for five minutes. But is it sustainable over 10, over 20 or 30 years? Does that make some sense? Right. Because you do know you're going to get old. You beautiful young people. Y'all know y'all going to get old. Just take it from some of us. I, uh, I thought I could get up this morning and just jump right on up and come on down here at 730 and help like I have been doing for 26 years. I opened my eyes at 7.15, and I said, nope. (laughs) I went right on back to sleep. I prayed for everybody (laughs) and got got two more hours sleep. I feel good right now. I I I feel real good. I really do. Used to jump up. I'm going to get here, open the gate. I'm going to beat everybody here. Show them that I'm part of the team. It changes after a while. I'm here to let you know it changes. You better get the work done while you have that innate latent energy. Yes. So Numbers 11, verse 11, Moses is quite a bit older. He's almost now 130 years old. Okay, 120 That's old. Now listen to what he says now. And Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore have you afflicted your servants? See what Moses is doing? Moses is starting to act like the people now. And wherefore have I not found favor in your sight that you lay all the burden of this people on me? You got me going in circles. Around and around and around. Right? You see what's going on? Earlier, Moses is bearing the hits and he's now ready to take on God's role. But a few years later, he's blaming God for it being too heavy. And Jethro had already told him, you can't do it. This is where you and I have to make sure, even if we are privileged to be in a position of authority, it cannot be that we are being God. Never try to be God. You won't do a good job at it, I promise you. The best you will do is be a devil. And the devil is trying to be God. But it just doesn't work out. What you and I can be is a priest. Because that's what Moses is doing right now. He's calling on God and God is helping him. Is God helping him? And this is what I said in the marriage thing too. And it's so important. We got to understand that God will often give you answers on the horizontal plane. God didn't just give the answer back to Moses. Hey, Moses, too much for you, bro. No, he brought his father-in-law in. These are relationships that we have to have that maintain equilibrium in our life and in our walk so that we're not living in silos of secluded relationships as we do today presently and lose the benefit of wisdom coming somewhere to help you modify so you can keep it moving. That's good, isn't it? Yes, it's very good. And so in our second point, under the blessing of counsel to organize a disaster to avoid because of what? Weakness. Listen to what it says in verse 12. Please go back. Verse 12. Notice what it says in verse 12. Have I conceived all this people? 
Have I begotten him that that you should uh, that thou shouldest say unto me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing father that uh, that beareth a suckling child unto the lamb, which you swear unto them. Listen, Moses is having problems today. Moses is having problems today. He's having problems because he has subsumed God's role and he's allowed the weight of what God never told him he had to do to start settling in on him. Parents, be careful. Please be careful. When the weight gets too heavy, all it is is that you have allowed your faith to go to a dimension of works where you have allowed the weight of your works to take away from the grace that faith will give you to give it to God, to wait for God to give you what is necessary to maintain the equilibrium. Did that make some sense? And this happens with Christians a lot. We shift from faith to works imperceptibly and we let the weight come on us and it actually gets into our head and messes us up. Moses is just about cussing, isn't he? Ivory said, yeah, he said it so quick. Ivory know what that means. He's just about cussing. Is he just about cussing? <laughs> Look at verse 13. I mean, not like now Moses and God are friends. I just want to let you know they're friends. And this is what Angela was saying up here about him and Ruthie. You can get a little loud. <laughs> now, when you're friends, we can we can manage that level of distortion. Can we not? So Moses is not in trouble with God. He just what? Keeping it real. But 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 Moses is flawed here. Where should I have, where, where can I get flesh to give this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh that we, see, it's just going on and on and on. Aren't we glad that we have a God that is so patient that he sees it before it comes? <laughs> I should keep going because I'm already reading Moses. This is my deeper psychoanalytical element going on here. Moses is breaking down. It's time to change, Moses. It's time for you to get that rod over to Joshua. You're starting to get a little senile, right? We, we don't need them after 80. Mm-mm. Park it. We don't need them after 80. Get some young brothers and sisters in there, right? We, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the Senate and the House and the Congress right now. We don't need them after 80. Y'all can sit in a wheelchair at Marga and wherever else y'all have all these palaces and just give us a little wisdom from the corner. We might use it. We might not use it. You know what I'm saying? Going on over in the corner. Let's have some young people with a little gravitas and experience. We put that on their shoulders and we'll pray for them. So what's, what, what, uh, what, what Jethro has done is helped our dear brother figure out some extremely important things about this. Let me see. There's another portion of this I want us to see. Look at verse 14 and then 17. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy. Isn't that what Jethro said? Now, have you ever been in a situation where Jethro has told you something and you didn't pay no attention to it? And then you look up years later and you go, man, I'm sounding just like Jethro. Right. Right. And, and often what we say here, and I've used this as a um, sort of an axiom, frequently uh, wisdom is truth that is comprehended later. When you're not ready, ready for wisdom, it'll be given to you. It might even irk you because that wisdom doesn't care about your present emotional disposition because wisdom is about saving you from your foolishness. 
And then later on, you will discover that that wisdom was truth given to you from somebody that knew what they were talking about. Does that make some sense? <clears throat> so let, let wisdom have its home in your heart. You ain't got to like wisdom. Wisdom didn't ask you, do you like me? Wisdom doesn't care whether you like him or not or her or not, because wisdom is Sophia. It's in the feminine gender. It wants you to prosper. That's what wisdom wants you to do. It doesn't care, the, care whether you like it. You got some crazy stuff that needs to be chopped off, cut off remove so you can keep bearing fruit. So wisdom is going to come, you know, with penicillin and, and antibiotics and it's going to come with needles, you know, because it's trying to heal you in Jesus name. So just accept it because it hurts, but it's better later, is it not? How many times have we heard the right thing from a person we sometimes question and later on they were just God honest right? I mean, just straight up, God dang, they were right. How is it that I didn't hear them? Because I was stuck on stupid. All right, I don't want to go to our third point, but I want to say something as we make our transition so we can close out. <clears throat> what I love about the model that's taking place. Um, yes, uh, what I love about the model that's taking place, and therefore I need to stay at the second point. This is going back to verse 20, uh, Exodus 18, verse 21 and 22. I want to talk about this. I want to seed you with this one because this is important. This is not simply about the uh, mechanism of the protocol. This is about relationship. This part is about relationship. I want you to get it. And then we'll go to our final point at close. Exodus 18, 21. Uh, go to 20, please, because I want to hear it, Jethro once again. We're all going to open up our hearts to Jethro. He says, now you shall teach them ordinances and laws. That's true because Moses is going up to the mount and get the book. He's he going to get the book. He already got a relationship with God, right? So God's already talking to Moses. We get that, Moses, you talking to God in ways we're not talking, so we're going to listen to you, but we're not going to make you God. And you're not going to let us make you God. Okay, so, and you shall teach them ordinances and laws, and you shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Good, good, good. That's what Moses, Moses brings you the law, but grace and truth comes from who? Jesus the Christ, right? So we never separate law from grace. Grace is never lawless. Love is never lawless. Love is always conditional. I told you that. If you look at uh, Numbers 11, verse 1, look at Numbers 11, verse 1 and 2. I just want to show you this for a moment so I can help us understand where we're going as a nation because we've abandoned both love and law in our nation. Numbers 11, 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was what? That's called conditional love. If it was unconditional, it would be a straight line, non-emotional, indifferent, could care less attitude. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Love is always a set of preconditions that's rooted in noble and virtuous expectations from everyone that is the object of love. Love is not happy with our foolishness. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love doesn't lean into transgression. Love doesn't approve of distortion. Love does not enjoy a departure from what God has called you to be. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so God is, he's demonstrating his displeasure with their foolishness. These are the people he paid for and brought out of Egypt. These are the people that he brought out by the blood of the lamb. These are the people that he brought through the Red Sea that he killed all those Egyptians for. Y'all keeping up with me? 
Let me teach this so you can get it. You can never say that love is some kind of passive disposition that approves of you at every level of your actions. It can never, ever be understood that way. This is the same God that brought them out, slew Pharaoh, took Amalek out, gave them bread, gave them water, and put up with all of their complaining. This is the same God. Now watch this. Notice what it said. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Did y'all see that? Our God is a consuming fire. Verse two, verse two. And the people cried, Moses, Moses. And when Moses prayed, see Moses doing the right job, he praying. Does he, when God is acting, the only thing you can do is pray. You can't take God's hand and hold him back. All you can do is pray. When God is disciplining a nation like the one I'm in, all you can do is pray. Now, I, I hear people saying, we ought to pray for our government. I do. I pray that God remove them. I do. I love righteousness. I pray that he remove the fools because once we get to our third point, God has a set of requirements for governance. You and I are not supposed to be happy with wicked doers in positions of authority that can take our money and do whatever they want with it. <laughs> Moses prayed unto the Lord and the fire was what? Well, we need a high priest like that, right? Here Moses is a type of Jesus and every parent can be that way too. When God's getting at your children, pray for them. See it? You got to believe you have that way with God especially when God's getting at your kids. He has a right to. He gives life. He can take life. He can take life. And he might tell you to be quiet like he told Aaron to be quiet when he destroyed Nadab and Abihu. Are y'all hearing me? Right? But if we cry to the Lord, he might just be good enough to arrest our children and stop the fire. All right. So... You need to remove that redundant, irrelevant, tautological uh, adverb, unconditional. Because love is always conditional. It's always conditional. It's long lasting, but it's always conditional. You and I can't be saved except upon the condition of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the condition that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The most conditional verse in the Bible. Am I making some sense? What we got going on here in our, in our second point is an understanding of uh, what, what is needed to make sure that we avert this problem. A distribution of labor. Chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Hurry up, Jess. Chapter 18, verse 21. Notice what he says, and I want you to capture this as we get ready to close. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men. You see that? Such as what? That's one. And men of what? Men of what? See, now everybody in the House and Senate is gone. You can look at C-SPAN and you'll see all the seats empty. Do you know why? Almost to a man, the whole operational system of our governments Governance is rooted in covetousness. Our politicians are sold out. 
You can never do good for anyone when money is your God. Did I make some sense? You can never do any good for anyone when money is your God. If money is your God, you'll sell your kids out. If money is your God, you will sell your parents out. Just let it settle in. I don't have time to teach that. You know I'm telling you the truth. You will actually destroy everything around you when your God is money. Notice what he says. And place such over them as to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Do you guys see that? Right. I want to do two things here. I want to talk about quality of persons and quality of relationship. Can I do that? Quality of persons, quality of persons. It's in your outline. Don't have time to unpack it. But if any of our rulers were uh, necessarily called to be able men and women, because that is really the case in our present generation, men and women are in positions of authority. Is that right? Do you see the word able there? That's a very obscure term. The word able means competent. The word able actually means vital. It means to be vitally competent and lively and assertive in your gifting to do what you do. I want you to capture that word, to be vitally assertive and lively in what you do. Vitally assertive and lively what you do. It means to be competent. It's a word that is used in the context of war to be valiant. That means you are eager because you're skilled and you are capable and you are able to actually get the job done. You find people who are competent, who are valiant, who are able, who are willing, who are gifted, who are assertive, because these are the people whose engines are revving up to get the job done because they know they got a formidable task to do. You can't get lazy. You can't get indigent. You can't get ambivalent. You can't get soft. You can't get weak. You've got to get valiant men and women who are competent, who are assertive, who are strong, who know what they're doing and they have a plan and they're ready to put it to work. That's the kind of people you need in our government. Did you see that? That's at the hierarchy. I love this because notice what it says, such as what? Fear God. Yeah, but fearing God is not first. That's so funny. You got a whole lot of Christians that fear God. The last thing we want them to do is be in politics. Because fearing God doesn't help you deal with all of the minutia of the complexity that politics requires. You still need to be skilled. Did that make some sense? You still need to be skilled. And see, right now, oh, stop, Jess, because I can tell you right now, on purpose, the Biden administration is taking all kind of fools and putting them in positions of authority that they don't even remotely qualify for. I'm like, what in the heck is he doing? I'm trying to be nice on Mother's Day. What in the heck is he doing? You don't do that. You do not do that. You don't put people in positions of judicial authority who don't even know the Constitution, don't even know the bylaws, don't even know the policy, can't answer one out of five questions. What in the heck are you doing? All right, so you're going to remember what I'm saying shortly. They are intentionally destroying your country. They are intentionally destroying your country. 
You're going to hear, you're going to remember what I'm saying. I am not blowing smoke. I am not blowing smoke. When the wicked rule, the people will mourn. This is a Marxist tactic to destroy our government. I don't care what you say. They've done it before. I can name all the names. They always put weak and impotent, even crazy people. They put that nut in there in Pennsylvania. I think it's Pennsylvania. He ran against Dr. Oz. Everybody knew that boy was sick. Everybody knew that boy was sick. The heck are you doing? I want to use the two L's so bad. Right? Right? What are you doing? There's way too much power in those positions. You mess We're giving you tax money and you can't even hold your own hand. See, I'm getting excited. And, 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 you know, they put this fella named Biden in there. We know he got issues. We got to wake up. I'm sorry. You got to wake up. This is not good. This is not good. Able men such as fear God, men of what? See what I mean? You see what I'm saying? We're not dealing with truth today, are we? Not even closely. Hating covetousness. These are qualities that are really, our last point will clearly lay out, are messianic. These are messianic qualities. So men and women that are in positions of authority are called to be messianic. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 23. Watch, it, watch this, I want you to see it. I've taught this for years. I, I got I to quit. Listen to this. This is uh, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, because I believe this is where David is. It should be 2 Samuel 23, maybe. Yes, now watch this. I want you to hear this, because David is going to talk about leadership, and I want you to capture this. I just know I have to say this. Now, these be the last words of David. Was David a king? Yes. Was he a prophet? Yes. Was he a priest? Yes. Was he a father? Yes. Absolutely. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said... The man who was raised up on high, he's speaking of himself. The anointed of the God of Jacob, he's speaking of himself. And the sweet psalmist of Israel, that's triad is beautiful. God raised him up, God anointed him, and he loved music. That's a whole other component to a healthy, balanced society. Okay, can't go there. Notice what it says in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So David is saying, what I'm about to say to you is really coming from God. Here it is, verse 3. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, and this is what he said, he that ruleth over men must be just. Sadiq in the Hebrew, it means righteous. He must be righteous. Did you get that? Now, technically, to be righteous is to know God in the person of Christ. Christ is our righteousness and we are the righteousness of God in him. Is that right? What that would mean then, if we had to follow this prescription, everyone in our government would have to be saved. They would have to be saved. They would have to have a real relationship with God and know who Jesus is as the mediator. If we were taking this prescription, leadership has to be a model and representation of Jesus That makes sense, doesn't it? And here would be the fruits of it. He would be just and he would rule in the what? Fear of God. Verse 24. I mean, verse 4. Sorry, 23, 4. And he shall be as the light of the morning. You see the benefits? 
He shall be as the light of the morning. Did you see the benefits? Here's the, here's the, here's the um, uh, parenthetical, or here is the uh, antonym to that. He won't be like the sun going down. He won't be like us descending into darkness. He'll be like the sun coming up. More and more light until the meridian day star shines so we all see where we are at and all see where we're going. Godly men help you see more. Godly women help you see more of where you are and where you're going. Am I making some sense? Because we are children of the day. We are not children of the night. We are called to work while it is day. When the night comes, you cannot work. And night is a metaphor of spiritual darkness. See what I'm getting at? Leaders ought to be this way. And he shall be even as a morning without clouds. How beautiful is that? That's the promise of a new day, not distorted by any kind of breach between the sun and you. That's the, you know how sometimes, this morning I woke up, I knew it was going to be a hot day today, sis. That's 5.30 in the morning. I looked out, said, ain't no cloud in the sky. No way, no, it's going to be hot. It's a beautiful day. God is blessing us right now. He's causing all kind of things to grow. He's burning up all kind of stuff. Believers are to be like that. You're like to be the sun. You're, you're, you're supposed to be the warmth and the life and the guidance of men and women. When they come into your presence, you're supposed to gift them with revelation. Gift them with insight. Gift them with warmth. Gift them with promise. Gift them with growth. That's what the sun does. And that's how parents are supposed to be with children. Help them grow. Isn't that beautiful? As the springing out of the earth by the clear and shining after the rain. This is what leadership should be. It should be a group of collectives helping men and women live in the promise of blessing season after season after season after season. We don't have that in our world today because our government has abandoned God. Israel is being taught how to actually operate out of a theocratic system with a representative republic as the framework. Now, here's what I meant. We just looked at the uh, qualifications. Now, I want you to think briefly about the proposition that was given by Jethro. Make sure that they're rulers of tens. Y'all got that? And rulers of hundreds. So when you are a ruler of ten. The relationship dynamics are proximal and relevant. And what that means is your rulers are not so far away from you that they don't know what's going on on the ground. When it's a ruler of 10, y'all live in the same place. Y'all engage in the same atmosphere, the same struggles. You have a very clear understanding of the dynamics of that realm that you're dealing with. Did that make some sense? When you are a ruler of 10, and again, this is why I say we're taking the Bible and mapping it into the 21st century back then because they were a smaller group. You could do that because they lived in in villages. They lived in tribes. If there were a small group of 10, you know your rulers. You know your rulers. Your rulers know you. They know you, y'all family. Do you know what that means? He can't or she can't easily rip you off. See how relationship matters? See how relationship matters? We all know each other. We got to struggle together. We got to work it out. We got to kill, you know, the enemy or the animals that are trying to destroy our village. And we got to have policies that work for both of us. See how powerful that is? 
They got to be close enough to us where we don't feel like the only thing that they're going to get, we're going to get from them is an automated email return. We heard what you said. We're taking it under serious consideration. (laughs) Jesse, stop. Because it's, all right, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the antithesis of this and I'm quitting. I'm going to give you the antithesis of a policy of anti-relationship orientation. I'm going to let you know what we're getting ready to deal with. Can I do that? Everything automated. Nothing personal. Nothing relational. Nothing organic. Nothing human. Nothing about the profound, complex, beautiful significance of morals and ethics that constitutes the real Imago Dei in us in given circumstances which can only be executed by human beings. Scientists have already admitted artificial intelligence can never, ever truly be greater than human beings. Y'all keeping up with me? I'm almost done. Which means what our social engineers are doing is destroying relationships. And you and I are the victims of it. Many of us in this room are experiencing the de- degradation of relationship. Sorry. And social media is making that happen. Can I talk to you? Right. And people are comfortable in their massive inordinate space and distancing between people because we live in the metaverse. We're in that space where we can have all kind of phony friends who are willing to lie to us and embrace our lives to them. This is what we're talking about in the marriage series. We'll press into that more fully on Saturday. This is why human beings are not able to work out conflicts between one another because we're not in a matrix where it's absolutely necessary. We can walk away from each other today because we are grossly wealthy, but at the same time, grossly reprobate. Did that make some sense? Right. God set it up where we're supposed to be interdependent. Voluntarily needing each other. So the beast has entered into our lives at crucial levels of deep personal preoccupation. And we're not really sure that when he becomes more intrusive, that we won't already have been addicted to him to give him more authority. Right, one more thing, and that's this. The goal of the agenda of those who think that they know better for us than we do for ourselves is to dumb us down so that the automated world of artificial intelligence appears to be smarter than us. See, and, and so what God had said about you and me is that because we are organically made and we are spiritually oriented, we have to have a relationship with God for us to maintain wisdom and to grow in it. You and I don't grow in wisdom in a vacuum. 
You and I don't get smarter. We don't get brighter. We don't get wiser. We don't get more virtuous. We don't maintain our integrity. We don't transcend. We don't overcome. We don't abound. We don't take on the characteristics of Christ. We don't live in victory without fellowship with the true and the living God. It's really true. It's really true. I'll tell you, I go one day without fellowshipping with my God. I'm disintegrating. It's amazing how much foolishness I will tolerate when I don't spend time with God. Now imagine a whole nation engaging in the vanity and frivolity of this metaverse until one day we're told by these fools that are in Washington that the artificial intelligence systems have already been established. They will take care of everything for you. Don't worry, you'll get a, you'll get a text or a beep or something. They'll tell you what to do. Listen, you won't own nothing and you'll be just fine. And 75% of Americans are ready for it. They are, because they're used to being governed as slaves by our system. Now, the, the inference of what I'm teaching you, and I'm closing here, is this. That the only way that we're going to see this turned around is for Christ to intervene in our world. For Christ to intervene in our world. Not just in our world, but in our hearts. He has to bring repentance. He has to break our hearts. He has to show us our sin and our rebellion against him. And it has to start at the smallest levels. Do not be asking for a change up there. It's got to start down here and it's got to start in me and it's got to start in you. God has to liberate us. He has to liberate us so we are used to not depending upon Pharaoh. He's got to return us to a whole model of earthly practical wisdom. And we have to be happy about living off the system. Happy about it and eager to actually employ what is necessary to demonstrate that we can actually operate very fine, thank you, without all your policies from the ground up. Here's the thing you need to know. What I love about the Israel paradigm is they have been in Egypt for 430 years. Egypt was the most intelligent, academic, intellectual, uh, um, uh, political, as well as engineering society in the world at that time. Moses had all that learning. That's what the Bible said. All those Jews had learned all that stuff. They were deeply Egyptian, didn't I tell you? So when they came out, they came out with great spoil. Isn't that what God said? They came out with money. They, came, they said, I'm, God says, when you leave, I'm going to let every one of those Egyptians give you gold and silver and precious stones. They came out blinging. Did they come out blinging? But that wasn't for them to bling, even though they was blinging. That, wasn't, that was for them to build a temple unto the true and the living God and give him glory for the riches that God is and bringing them out. And God promised him, I will sustain you. You will be the head. You will not be the tail. You will never know poverty. If you obey me and worship me, I am the true and the living God. And uh, so you're looking at righteous judgment that needs to be executed to preserve or restore or recover 
a broken society. And that's where you and I are. God gave us our instructions. Next time we'll look at his constitution. I would love to ask every one of you, could you right now, if it was, if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, and I might, I, I might have a million. I don't think I'm going to give it to you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is a hypothetical, and we're done. <laughs> I should be able to trust some of my saints at grace, at least coming up for water out of the metaverse from time to time and breathing real fresh air. If I had a million dollars to give you, could you come up here in front of all of these scary-looking people and quote the whole of the Ten Commandments. That's as far as you're going to get. <laughs> My brother was asking me whether or not can the devil, you know, possess us. And I said, no, but he can harass you and he can oppress you. And he can steal from you. And that's what he's done. The people of God should know God's constitution at what we call the ten words of God, which are an adumbration of the totality of God's will. Way more than the 607 commandments that our Hebrew brethren have actually asserted for them. Way more. But we couldn't do that to save our life. If, uh, if the Chinese government came here and put a, you know, a rifle to your head and told you to quote the Ten Commandments. Some of us probably die and go to hell or maybe heaven if we're saved. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Right. See how much, get, how much time we're wasting? Say, Pastor, what, 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 what's the big deal with the Ten Commandments? We'll see next time. A society that's governed by them wouldn't look anywhere near like what we look like right now. Amen. All right.